chapter 13. With his attention now on the ministry of Paul, Luke narrates the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. It started with the call of the Holy Spirit who instructed the prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch of Syria to separate Barnabas and Saul for the work he has called them. With fasting prayer and the laying on of hands, the two men were sent out on their journey. Sailing from Seleucia, they arrived at the island of Cyprus, the home country of Barnabas. Assisting them was John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, who had joined them earlier, and was later the companion of Peter and the author of the Gospel of Mark. Here they began what Luke later describes as Paul's custom, preaching in the synagogues of the Jews. Starting in Salamis, they made their way to Pathos, where they met the sorcerer Elimas, Bargesus, along with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. When Sergius wanted to hear the word of God, Elimas tried to prevent Barnabas and Saul from speaking. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Saul rebuked the sorcerer and rendered him sightless. Astonished at the power behind the teaching of the Lord, Sergius believes. From this point forward, Saul is now called Paul and also became the more prominent member of the missionary team. From Cyprus, they sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. Later, this caused contention between Paul and Barnabas. We'll see that in chapter 15. Arriving in Antioch and Pisidia, they attended the synagogue of the Jews on the Sabbath. Invited to speak, Paul preached Jesus by first reviewing the history of Israel from the Exodus to the time of David. Noting God's promise concerning the seed of David, Paul summarized the ministry of John the Baptist and then introduced Jesus as the Savior who was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead and seen by many eyewitnesses. Offering further evidence of the resurrection from the Old Testament prophecy, Paul proclaimed forgiveness of sins through Jesus with a warning against their unbelief. The response was positive, especially among the Gentiles, and Paul and Barnabas were invited to speak the following Sabbath. When unbelieving Jews saw that the whole city came out to hear, they were filled with envy and opposed the things spoken by Paul. Declared themselves unworthy of eternal life, Paul turned his efforts towards the Gentiles, who were much more receptive. The word of the Lord spread from the region. But eventually Paul and Barnabas were forced to leave and went to Iconium. Their work in Antioch was not in vain, for left behind were disciples filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. And there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed on Cilicia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. In Acts 1.8, Luke described the commission Jesus gave to his disciples to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So far in this historical account, Luke has described how the commission was fulfilled in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. The rest of Luke's account now focuses on the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus, a former persecutor of the church, is now the apostle to the Gentiles. 
whose missionary journeys illustrate how the gospel is taken to the uttermost part of the earth. Paul's first journey began soon after returning to Antioch of Syria with Barnabas and John Mark in Acts chapter 12 with a special call by the Holy Spirit. Now the church in Antioch. His church was started by men from Cyprus and Cyrene by way of Jerusalem. We see that in Acts chapter 11. This church was later strengthened by Barnabas, then later together with Paul. This church was blessed with a number of prophets and teachers. Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus, Simeon called Niger, or Black, presumably an African, possibly Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross. Lucius of Cyrene, also from North Africa, Menaean brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist and tried Jesus, and you have Saul from Tarsus. Now we have the call of the Holy Spirit. As they ministered and worshipped to the Lord and fasted in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Spirit told them to separate Barnabas and Saul for the work he had for them. With fasting, prayer, and the laying on of hands, they are sent on their way. So Barnabas and Saul are sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Now let's look at some observations about the call of Barnabas and Saul and the church at Antioch. First, let's look at the diversity of this church at Antioch. Note the racial, cultural, and societal diversity of the five prophets and teachers. Two of them were from Africa, one from Cyprus, one from Cilicia, and one from Palestine. One was raised with royalty, another was wealthy, another was a rabbi. Isn't this the way churches should be? Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we have the diversity of the church. Another thing to notice is the principle of synergy. Synergy is the working together of two things to produce a result greater than the sum of their individual efforts. Two or more working together can accomplish more than their working separately. Jesus believed in the principle of synergy. We see that in Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 10. Barnabas believed in this principle. We see that in Acts chapter 11. And the Holy Spirit believed in this principle. We see that here in Acts chapter 13. We do well to support teams of two or more, not just individuals working alone. Now let's look at the practice of fasting. We saw the diversity of the church, the principle of synergy. Now let's look at the practice of fasting. Jesus said his disciples would fast, and Jesus taught them how to fast in Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 6. Notice Jesus said his disciples would fast. We are supposed to fast from time to time. There are supposed to be things that come into our life where we pray and fast over. Some things do not resolve themselves unless fasting is involved. Jesus says his disciples would fast. Are we fasting? On the occasion, when the occasion presents itself. Is that something we have done? Notice the church in Antioch fasted. We see that in Acts chapter 13, 2-3. Elders were appointed with prayer and fasting, Acts chapter 14. Paul wrote of spouses fasting and praying during periods of separation. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Fasting in conjunction with prayer is suitable in the life of the Christian and the church. Notice the laying on of hands. This is used often in the appointment of, appointment of elders, deacons, pastors, 
used in the dedication service in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 13. The laying out of hands indicates acceptance and approval of those who have been selected by the congregation. Beseeching God's blessing and protection on those who serve is another indication of what laying on the hands means. Laying out of hands, the fasting, prayer, and imposition of hands was so to signify and to set them apart for this work. Thus Barnabas and Saul are sent out on their missionary journey, having been separated and sent out by the Holy Spirit himself to the task that was set before them, with fasting, with prayer, with the laying on of hands by those that are left behind. Barnabas and Saul will return to the church of Antioch of Syria. It will serve as a point of departure for Paul's three missionary journeys. As Saul, soon to be called Paul, in verse 9, does his part in fulfilling the Great Commission, thousands of years later, and thousands of miles away, we benefit from the work of those willing to go and those willing to send. May their example encourage us to do our part today in spreading the gospel around the world and doing our part to fulfill the Great Commission unto the uttermost part of the world. In verses 4 to 5, we have the journey to Salimus. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Barnabas and Saul go down to Cilicia, and from Cilicia they sail to Cyprus, and they arrive at Salimus. In Salimus they preach the word in the Jewish synagogue, and they are assisted there by John Mark. And then verses 6 to 12, we see crossing the island of Cyprus, they arrive at Pathos, where they encounter Elimus bar Jesus, a sorcerer and false prophet. The proconsul Sergius Paulus wanted to hear the word of God. Elimus sought to keep him from hearing. Saul, who is also called Paul, from this point forward confronts and confounds Elimus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul looked at him intently and saw that he was full of deceit and full of fraud. Calling him a son of the devil, an enemy of righteousness, Paul charged him with perverting the ways of the Lord. Paul then foretells his blindness by the hand of the Lord, which happens immediately. Seeing what happens, Sergius Paulus believes and is astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, chapter 13 and verse 9 says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Saul, this is the first time he is called Paul. And Matthew Henry had this to say about this verse. Saul, who was here for the first time called Paul, fell upon him, for this was a holy indignation. Saul was his name, and he was a Hebrew. Paul was his name, as he was a citizen of Rome. Now when he is sent forth among the Gentiles, he is called by his Roman name to put somewhat of a reputation upon him in the Roman cities. Paulus, being a very common name among them, says he was filled with the Holy Ghost in verse 9. He was filled with a holy zeal against a professed enemy of Christ. What Paul said did not come from any personal resentment, but from strong impressions which the Holy Ghost made upon his spirit. Now Pisidia was one of the regions into which the Roman province of Galatia was divided. Paul and Barnabas came to this region, 3,600 feet in elevation, after crossing the Tarsus Mountains from Perga. As was his custom, Paul went first in a synagogue where he was invited to speak. And this is the longest recorded sermon of Paul's. The message was similar to Stephen's defense. First, there was a historical review in verses 17 to 25, extending from the events of the Exodus to the life of David, and particularly the promise of a son given to David, 
and finally to John the Baptist, who, is clearly, who clearly was not the fulfillment of that promise. This gave a natural introduction for the next part of the message, which showed that Christ, David's greater son, was the fulfillment of that promise. Thus, second, Paul preached the gospel as it in Jesus Christ to them. He was the one who fulfilled everyone who believes is freed from all the things from which you could not be freed from through the law of Moses. This is a most startling statement. For Paul was saying that the law of Moses could not justify anyone. But Christ offers complete justification to every believer. Third, Paul warned his hearers not to ignore what they had just heard. One of the underlying thrusts of this message is this. Ignorance of the written word, the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah in this case leads to ignorance of the living word. It is so today. Ignorance of the written word leads to ignorance of the living word, which is Jesus Christ. So the result of this testimony was that some rejected and some believed, but the whole city heard the word of God. And because of the multitudes who did listen, the Jews were jealous and spoke against Paul and Barnabas. So the missionaries turned their attention to the Gentiles, but the Jews finally stirred up enough women and leading men to drive Paul and Barnabas to Iconium. But a work of grace had been done in the Gentiles' hearts, largely and the disciples were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now Acts chapter 13, verses 46 to 48. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it in from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained of eternal life believed. After Jews rejected the message, Paul turns to the Gentiles with the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. God's plan was to deliver the message of Jesus and eternal life through him, and because of him, to the house of Israel First, and now the message goes to the Gentiles. Matthew 15:24 says this, But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the Jews first, and also to the Gentiles. The word is received with gladness from the Gentiles. The availability of the gospel is cause for rejoicing. The word of God is published among the Gentiles. Someone said this about Antioch and Pisidia, that they were turned upside down not because of preaching on self-esteem or politics, but by the preaching of the word of God. They were turned upside down by the preaching of the word of God, not by preaching on self-esteem, not by preaching on politics, but they were turned upside down by the preaching of the word of God. There were not any Christians in Antioch and Pisidia when Paul and Barnabas first came, but when they left, there were many. If we are faithful in sharing the gospel, God will bless his word. God will bring the increase. His word, when shared, taught, and preached, will not return void. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. In Acts 13, verse 51, But they shook off the dust of their feet against them, 
and came unto Iconium. Matthew Henry in his commentary stated the following about the significance of them shaking the dust off their feet. He said this, How the apostles abandoned and rejected the unbelieving Jews. They shook off the dust of their feet against them. When they went out of the city, they used this ceremony in sight of those who sat in the gate, and when they went out of the borders of their country in the sight of those that were sent to see the country rid of them, they declared that they would have no more to do with them. They expressed their detestation of their infidelity. They expressed their contempt to them and their malice which they looked upon as impotent. They left a testimony behind them that they had a fair offer made to them of the grace of the gospel, which shall be proved against them in the day of judgment. Thus Christ had ordered them to do, and for this reason they did. Luke 9.5 says, and this is Jesus speaking, And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. They were obeying a commandment of Jesus Christ, a com very specific commandment from Jesus. In Acts chapter 13 and 51, where it says, But they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and came unto Iconium. They were obeying Luke 9, 5, where Jesus said, And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Now let's look at verse 52, Acts chapter 13 and verse 52. And disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Matthew Henry said this, One would have expected that when Paul and Barnabas were expelled out of their coasts, they would have been full of grief and full of fear. But no, they were filled with joy in Christ. They had such a satisfactory assurance of Christ's carrying on and perfecting of his work in them, and that either he would screen them from trouble or bear them up under it, that all their fears were swallowed up in their believing joys. They were courageous and wonderfully animated with a holy resolution to cleave to Christ. Whatever difficulties they met, this seems especially to be meant by their being filled with the Holy Ghost. For the same expression is used of Peter's boldness in chapter 4 and verse 8. The more we relish the comforts and encouragements we meet with in the power of godliness, and the fuller our hearts are of them, the better we are prepared to face the difficulties we meet with in the profession of godliness. Their fear was swallowed up in their believing joy. Their fears were swallowed up in their believing joy. Do we let our fears get swallowed up in our believing joy in Christ? Do we let our fears get swallowed up in our faith, in our believing joy in Christ? Do people see joy in us? Do we express joy, a believing joy, in spite of fears, in spite of circumstances, in spite of things going on? Do we express that believing joy to others? Music